Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, faithful? Al Sacco and Zainafi here for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. The Super Bowl teams are set. It's going to be the New England Patriots and the Philadelphia Eagles, and I couldn't be more disappointed. <laughs> Zane, <laughs> the last thing I wanted to see was the Patriots in the Super Bowl again, and not to sound like sour grapes. It's just all kind of getting old to me. Uh, no, I can't kind of complain, I guess, being a 49ers fan. The Niners kind of did it, too. And I was going to throw some stats out actually later. That's Niners actually had a pretty comparable run to the Patriots. So not too much you could say, but you know, it's uh, the Super Bowl lacks juice for me. And uh, you know, what the Eagles did is great and they have a tremendous defense, but you know, Nick Foles isn't exactly somebody that you want to turn your TV set on and, and watch. It would have been a lot different if Carson Wentz was in the game. It would have been a lot more exciting game and maybe even a pass torching game type thing if Wentz was there, but it is what it is. And we're going to watch it anyway. Right. You're gonna you're gonna hate on the Patriots after they hooked the Niners up with Jimmy Garoppolo. You're gonna you yeah, really. My, I hate. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I I I tried. Like I tried the whole like oh you know they're cool. He gave us to Garoppolo. I just I I can't I can't. And I'll get into it a little bit, but I, I don't know, man. I I feel like it's it's uh it's sour grapes because certainly listen nobody's beating them. You know teams have their opportunities. The Jags had their opportunities. They didn't get it done. So. Well, this is probably the easiest road to the Super Bowl that Tom Brady has ever had. He had to go through Marcus Mariota and Blake Bortles, both at home. And he's had some easy ones. Who do you have to go through last year? Connor Cook, Matt Moore, who, Tom Savage. Those were the AFC playoff quarterbacks last year. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been, you know, look, it's, it's impressive that, that they've been to so many Super Bowls. Look, it's been, it's been 18 years since the the year that since the millennium turned and the Patriots have been in eight of those Super Bowls, which is yep. ridiculous. That's unbelievable. So the fact that they're able to continually do this is is impressive to me. And Al, I feel like if if everybody outside of your team hates you, then you've done a really good a really good job at what you do. Like I want I want to get to the point where everybody just hates the 49ers and everybody hates the the uh, hates Jimmy Garoppolo outside of San Francisco because that means that you're you're beating everybody's teams. And that's what everybody's that the point that's the point that everybody's at now with Tom Brady that he's basically beaten everybody. He's beating people a second time around now. Like he's he's this is the second time around that they're facing the Eagles. As many of you may remember, they the the Donovan McNabb Terrell Owens game where McNabb was puking in the huddle and T.O. called him out about that and and the the Patriots went on to win their their third Super Bowl out of four years. So it's it's another rematch of that and and it's kind of hard to get. To, to pick against Tom Brady at this point, right? Nick Foles is not going to be Tom Brady. Probably not, unless that, that Eagles defense really steps up and, and can knock Brady around a little bit and get him off his game. It's going to be tough. I mean, the Eagles got a lot of skilled players. Jeffrey, Ertz, Ajayi, there's, there's some good players there, but it's going to be tough, man. It's going to be tough. But still, um, you got to give the Patriots all the credit in the world, but I'm still going to complain about him um, and talk really bad about him after our interview today. So <laughs> we can all look forward to that. Um, but you know what? And I know you heard this too last week. East West Shrine game was practices for last week and the game was this past weekend. And all the hype was about this wide receiver, Darius Fountain. It's all I read about on Twitter. Articles are coming out about this guy. And I'm like, who is this guy? You know, where did he come from? Mm-hmm. So did a little research on him, and it turns out he's actually represented uh, his marketing agent as our buddy, Matt Allman. And as I'm reading about 
Mr. Reese Fountain guy and, and, and thinking about him on the Niners. And I think a, a lot of fan bases are thinking about him on their team with, with the way he played. You know, Matt, Matt, Matt uh, got in contact with me and he was like, hey, Al, by the way, you know, do you want to have Dereese on the show? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. In a heartbeat, because this guy is is got the attention of everybody right now with his size, his speed and, and what he did at the game. He was outstanding. He won offensive MVP. So when we had the ability to or the opportunity, I should say, to interview him, we, we, we jumped at it. And um, when you hear this kid talk, you can just hear the enthusiasm in his voice. You can't help but root for him. He's such a good kid, and and I really think his draft stock he really helped it. And he went from a guy, someone who's on the bubble, to now probably could be looking at a mid round pick, and and hopefully he gets that combine invite. And we're all definitely rooting for him. So without further ado, here's our interview with offensive MVP of the East West Shrine Bowl game, Therese Fountain. <laughs> Our guest has the NFL world talking after a breakout week during the East-West Shrine game as he took home offensive MVP honors for his performance. Welcome former Northern Iowa wide receiver, Darius Fountain. Darius, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, man, no, no problem. Thank you for having me. All right. Now, I'm so intrigued by you because you've absolutely exploded on the scene here. And coming from a small school, I'm curious what your mindset was as you entered the draft process. Were you worried that you might get overlooked, or did you feel like your talent would kind of force evaluators to take notice? Oh, no, definitely, man. I uh, I definitely had that doubt in my mind that I was going to get overlooked. You know, like you said, being from a small school, it's, it's easy to get overlooked sometimes. So uh, I know that if I was to go out here to the East-West Shrine game, that I, I would have had a chance to display my times. But I just didn't know that it was going to go so well as it did. So I'm just thankful, man. And it seemed like there was instant buzz about you, like as soon as you hit the practice field. Why do you think you stood out so much against competition? It was actually crazy because it's crazy that you say that because the first day I literally did not catch a ball. And I remember <laughs> going, and I, re- I remember going like, like throughout practice and talking to my friend, uh, Justin Weir, that's, that was also in the game too. I remember telling him like, man, I really, I really got to bounce back tomorrow, man. This has been a terrible practice. Like, I don't, I don't know. I, I definitely know that I didn't get no interest now, but. It's so crazy because even though I didn't catch a ball, like we did one on ones with the DBs and like release drills with the DBs, and I remember hearing people like in oohs and ahs because I, I remember making one guy fall and like throughout like team and seven on seven and stuff, I was just breaking open. So when I saw like people was tweeting, tweeting about me afterwards, I was just like, wow, like it was just crazy. It was just such a surreal moment. I would have never thought in a million years that you know it would have happened to me. And there was a lot written about you, and especially on Twitter, and it, you know, not just fans, but NFL guys too. Where it's like, you know, watch out for this kid. This kid can play that sort of thing. Were you aware of it as it was happening? Did people tell you, like, hey, man, you know, people are starting to talk about you? How did you kind of become aware of what was going on? No, man, it was like one day uh, after practice. Right, well, I had a good practice. It was Tuesday. Uh, my agent came up to me, and he was just smiling, just just literally <laughs> cheeky. He was just. He was like, "Hey man, don't check Twitter. If I I wouldn't check Twitter if I was you." But he said that in a sarcastic voice, and he was just like, "Man, I'm so proud of you. Everyone's talking about you." And I was like, "Seriously?" Because you know that day, I thought everyone had a good practice. You know, Deshaun Hamilton, he was playing pretty well. Jester, he was playing well, and like everyone was just like doing their thing that day. So I was like, "Seriously?" And literally, when I got to the bus and get on my phone, man, my my news feed was just going out of control, like. It was literally blowing up, and I, I was just like, man, I remember just talking to Jester, like, 
man, I cannot believe this is happening to me. Like, this is wild. Like, who ever thought? Because I remember reading, like, articles going into this week, like, you know, the East series is stacked. They got such and such from Penn State and such and such from here and here. But it was never my name. So, you know, obviously going mm-hmm. in, I'm like, all right, obviously uh, I probably have to overcome being overlooked or overshadowed by all of these stars. But, you know, I'm just going to just do my best and just see where God takes me. But, man, just to, like, see that I was getting that much buzz, I was just like, man, this is crazy. <laughs> it, it was just so nice, man. I was just so thankful. And did you have teams and scouts coming up and talking to you this week? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, no doubt. I mean, it, so when we first got there, like, uh, what was it? Monday initially, it was uh, a lot of scouts was there, but they wasn't talking to me. I remember, like, kind of feeling embarrassed because it was uh, the lunch room where they had, like, all of the players go, all the scouts go. And mm-hmm. I remember, like, it was probably, like, one or two scouts that talked to me where, my friends and the people that I was like hanging out with, they were literally just getting just bombarded by all the scouts, like literally just getting pulled left and right. Like, hey, can we talk to you? And I was like, man, you know, I'm just, I, I already knew that, you know, coming in here, like a lot of people don't know about me, but it's okay. Literally after Tuesday, I probably went to sleep at like 11 because I was just literally having so many meetings with the scouts. It was crazy. Like wow. it was a moment at a time. It was a moment at a time where I literally, like, I told myself, man, if I want to go to sleep, I'm going to have to put my name tag inside my shirt so no one <laughs> see me. Because I was just walking through, and they literally just look, hey, Darishan? Oh, man, come here, come around with such and such with C- uh, Seattle Seahawks. Or such and such with Denver Broncos. It was like, man, like, but no, man, it was, it was just a blessing, man. I was just so thankful for the opportunity. But they were real cool, though. They were real nice. Uh, you know, I, it was really repetitive with all the questions they were asking and stuff, but. They was just basically just trying to get to know me, man. They was giving mm-hmm. me a lot of good feedback, so I was just so thankful for that. What kind of things do they ask you? Man, they was asking me about, like, basically my my background, my home life, you know, where I'm from, uh, how I become the person that I am today, uh, why you and I, how did I get overlooked by FBS schools and stuff like that. So, I mean, it was just basically basic questions. It wasn't really anything that's, like, jump off the wall. I heard at the Combine they asked you crazy, like, really just wild questions. but. Now, all the questions they asked me were pretty simple. As far as the practices themselves, is it tough to get a rhythm because you haven't played with a lot of these guys or the coaches keep it basic enough where it's easy enough to pick up? No, nah, I mean, yeah, it, it was kind of tough, man. You know, that's why it was so wild the first day. And that's why I thought it was a bad practice because you're dealing with different quarterbacks, even though they all were great quarterbacks. I was working with uh, Rowley Ferguson, JT Barrett, and Quinn Flowers from uh, USF. But it was just so crazy just to get a rhythm because you don't know who these guys are, you know, whereas in camp and stuff like that, you probably didn't work out with your quarterback a few times following, coming up into that camp. But, you know, you were just trying to just see where everyone else, everyone had different throwing techniques, everyone, the ball came out different, each of the quarterback hands. So, yeah, man, it was kind of hard at first, and especially with all the install that they gave us, like they gave us a ton of plays to learn within that little week. So that was one of the, that was one of the hardest things, like, like I said, I told you I was going to sleep late. One of those reasons is because I was staying up to like one o'clock, just studying the play. So mm-hmm. like the next day, I can just go out and play as fast as I can. That's one thing that uh, Justin, we and I, we we really did. We really just focused in and study on the plays over and over and over and over, so we can just go out there and play as fast as we can. Because we knew that if we can pl- go out there and play fast, we obviously receive a lot of interest from a lot of people. So yeah, man. But other than that, it, it was. The first, I got to say, the first couple of days, it was kind of hard to, you know, get, get in the rhythm. But 
I say midday Tuesday, that's when I finally found my rhythm. I just started going from there. So you've all that hype during the week. Did you feel pressure heading into the game? Like, like now you got to do something big. Yeah. I mean, yeah, a little bit, not really. Uh, it was kind of crazy because my position coach, he, he told me, uh, at the end of the week, I was talking to him. He like, look, man, yeah, I just want to say I'm proud of you. You, you've done everything you had to this week. You, you did the hard part already, you know? So the game should be easy for you. But I knew like from all the buzz that I was like building up throughout the week that our eyes are still going to be on me. So one of my, like, mm-hmm. I was, I was kind of scared that I would just go out there and just like lay an egg and just kind of, you know, just be just another guy that just creates a buzz and then just flatten off in the game. But man, it was, it was a blessing, man. Like once I got the jitters out on the first drive and I caught that first ball from Riley, it was just, it was crazy. That's when I let everything just settle down. And the game just naturally came to me. And I thought you played really well on special teams too. And, and that's important for rookie wide receivers, obviously. And, and your kick returning ability was on display. You had a 30 yard punt return in that game. How much experience have you had returning kicks in your collegiate career? And, and do you think you can make an immediate impact in the league if that's what you were called upon to do? Oh, oh yeah, of course. But uh, I, I didn't have that much experience. I mean, I was a kick returner at one point in my career in Northern Iowa, but I didn't really get that many opportunities to actually return kicks. And I was kind of new at it. But, yeah, man, going into this week right after, like, after I got the initial buzz, that's what most of the scouts were asking. Like, you know, did you play special teams? in uh college and i told him yeah but it was like little things like uh on sign kick hand teams uh some like some kick return some prime return but they was just saying like they didn't see that much film on me or playing special teams so tell you the truth that was my main focus going to the game like i just wanted to show scouts that i was a football player first and then wide receiver second you know i was willing to do anything from being a gunner on punt team or running down on kickoff team or you know i was i even played a little corner on the punt return team so I just want to show them that uh, I can play special teams and I will, like I'll be willing to play special teams. Cause you know, a lot of guys, it's, it's a, it's a stereotype that a lot of football players don't like to play special teams, especially with receivers in the league. But like, you know, with me, man, I'm, I'm just a blue collar worker, man. I'm willing to do anything to help my team win regardless. So I was just telling them like, yeah, I, I want to show you guys that I can play special teams. And I read an article about you and your old coach, uh, Mark Farley, said, and I quote, he, he brings all the energy. He's engaging. He's a good person. He's the whole package. You won't find a better person to hang around. What does it mean to you to yeah, hear your yeah. old coach say that? And, and do you, what do you feel you can bring to an NFL locker room? Man, man I, was just, I just felt it's, it's just a blessing, man. You know, because I try to be that high energy guy in everything I do, especially on the football field. Because, you know, that's why I'm having the most fun, man. At the end of the day, I know a lot of people get caught up with, you know, being all serious. But at the end of the day, this game is fun, man. It's the reason why we've been playing this game for so long. And I think I could definitely bring that energy to NFL room. Obviously, you know, I know when to be serious. I know when to be act like a professional. At all times, mm-hmm. I act like a professional. But and sometimes, you know, you just got to let loose just a little bit, you know, to just relieve that tension. Because in this game, it can be stressful, man, especially how people are getting cut left and right. And Sometimes in that beginning stage in the seasons, people are coming out there each other in positions and stuff. So it can be a little uptight in the locker room, man. I don't think team. I don't think you can like you can move forward as a team if everyone's just uptight, you know. So I just try yep. to be that like that energy boost to just to just help people just relax a little bit, man, and just put a smile on people's faces. That's why I'm always doing. It. Everyone that knows me, they know I'm always smiling for the most part, man. So you know that's, that's why I just try to bring to the team. Are there any receivers in the NFL right now that you look up to as far as their play or anyone that you kind of model your game after? 
Oh, yeah, man, definitely. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is one of them. You know, I really think that him and I are alike, just the way how we just go up in the air and just attack the ball. Our ball skills and our body control is, I believe, is uh, really good. Uh, obviously, Julio, that's one of my favorite receiver, receivers. Mm-hmm. Antonio Brown, of course, man. Uh, Odell. So, it's a lot of receivers, man. I got to say Stephon Diggs, too, man. I really – I really compare my game to him. One thing I say we got in common is we we the underdogs, man. I used to say that about DeAndre Hopkins and say he really exploded on the scene these past yeah. few years. But, yeah, man, just being the underdog and just having to prove everyone wrong, man. You know, I've been an underdog for as long as I can remember from coming out of high school, not receiving an FCS offer, I mean, an FBS offer, and then, you know, being an FBS and not even being one of the top receivers coming out and then obviously barely getting to the East Restaurant Bowl, but, you know, I mean, <laughs> I was just, uh, I, I felt like I was an underdog this whole week and I just I just had that chip on my shoulder. I think that was one of the reasons why uh, I played so well throughout this week. Does that drive you because you come out and you play so well? Do you kind of think to yourself, like, why didn't anybody notice this last four years, you know, because you come in and you explode? Does that drive you, like, you know, all right, now it's my time? Uh, man, yeah, but at the end of the day, I still know it's a lot of things I need to work on. You know, I, like I said, I was, I'm was i so thankful for this opportunity, man. It was a blessing. Like, literally, you know, I can't even really even soak it in right now. Like, God has blessed me so much this week. Because mm. literally, all the chips fell at the right time, like, literally in the right place. Like, everything I had to do literally fell from making an impression on the scouts before they all left after Wednesday, did that. Then going into the game, having, like, a, a huge, like, you know, target on my back to just lay an egg and just, just look bad in front of everyone. But being able to, you know, play up to my standards, it, it just literally fell in place at the right time. So, yeah, man, I definitely just – I definitely, you know, I definitely just have that chip on my shoulder just throughout this whole process because, like, I got – like I said earlier in my uh, other interviews, like I'm still yet to get a combine invite, even though after all the success I had this week. So, I mean, you know, I'm just I'm just gonna keep working and just leaving God's hands, man, to see where it can take me. And your marketing agent is is our good friend Matt Allman, and and he also represents 49ers Matt Breida and Adrian Wilbert. Have you spoken to Matt yeah, or Adrian? That's my dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's my dog, man. Yeah, I speak to Mac every day. Literally, I speak to Mac every day. Where it's just yeah. How you doing or just anything just in that matter so yeah i spoke to adrian a couple times especially earlier through this process when i was trying to figure out how to choose an agent he would just give me advice on where to train and just stuff like that so yeah man me and adrian are real cool and he obviously he showed me some love throughout uh last week when i was going up too so that was real nice yeah and he's another guy who really you know he was a seventh round draft pick kind of on the bubble with the roster and he you know worked hard and ended up doing really well so yeah he's a great guy to model yourself after for sure yeah, man, it's just like I said, that underdog mentality, man, I think yep. that can just take you just so far because, like, you know, it, it's sad to say, but a lot of dudes get complacent once they know that they, they think they made it or, you know, anything like that. But just to, just to have that chip on their shoulder, I believe it can help push you to just do a lot more things, man, just to, just to make yourself go farther than you can even know it. And as far as the draft, and I know it's got to be a stressful time for you right now, because like you said, you're waiting for that combine invite and thing, things like that. But I did want to read something to you that Matt Miller from Bleacher Report said, and Matt Miller is you know, one of the top draft guys out there, read an article and he said, I received the most texts about Northern Iowa's Darius Fountain all week. 
At 6'1 and 210 pounds, Fountain has the size everyone wants at wide receiver, not to mention the arm length, and dominated practices with that, si- with that size and precise route running. And he went on to say he originally had you ranked as a late day three prospect, and now he can see you as, as a middle rounder. When you hear something like that, how surreal is it? And what expectations at this point do you, do you put on yourselves for the draft? Can you even kind of fathom that, or you just kind of like let the chips fall where they may? Oh, no, it, man, it, it it actually gets me really emotional, man, because I remember, like, it's crazy. I was talking to one of my uh, dear friends, A.J. Allen, back at uh, Northern Iowa about this. I remember, like, days, like, literally long nights and literally just sitting in my room, just, just having nightmares of thinking, like, man, like, what if I don't make it? Like, this has been a, this has been a dream of mine, sorry, since I was probably in third grade. Like, I remember the first time I even caught a ball and back in my neighborhood, back in Madison, Wisconsin. And so it was like, I remember just seeing, just thinking to myself when, you know, I, ha- I was having down years back in Northern Iowa, just saying like, man, if I don't turn my life around this sport, like this can really be the last times I can really play this. And I mean, God forbid, this probably can't be the last time right now, but it's just like, just to hear these people, like Matt Miller and just Mike, uh, May I just say stuff about me like this? Like, mm-hmm. it, it was crazy. Like, I remember the first time when this week when I saw College 24-7 Sports and NFL site tweet about me, I was really in shock. Because I remember looking looking at, you know, those sites tweet about other top FBS prospects. I remember telling myself, like, man, this is crazy. This profile would never tweet about me or never recognize <laughs> me. One, just because I'm an FCS player. And I'm not that big. Unless I make it to the NFL or something like that and do some good, they would never tweet about me while I'm in college. So literally just to see me get that attention, man, I literally just I literally just got so emotional. Like I, I was just I was just Yeah. So thankful. And I remember just praying, just thanking God, because it's like this is a dream. Like a lot of people do not a lot of people don't get to go through this every day. And I know it's a lot of people that want to play football, that have dreams of uh nfl aspirations but it's just like for me to like have it like literally in hand reaches it's just such a blessing man i i I just literally just looked at all these past tweets and all these important uh nfl personnel people just saying stuff about me and just like just smiling and just shaking my head like my mom was so emotional about it my family all my friends everybody was so emotional about it back at home it's just it's just crazy man so it definitely like when i hear stuff like that it definitely makes me want to go harder. Like, literally, my trainer uh, today, he was trying to cut back on me. Like, yeah, you know, you need to relax. Your body's <laughs> beat up. I was like, nah, man. Like, I need to do this. Like, I need to, I, I need to go hard, man. Like, it's like, because you never know. You never know what when this can be taken away from you, man. So it's like, I don't know, man. It, it's definitely making me go harder. But I'm just so thankful just to just to be uh, in this opportunity, man, just to, just to have this opportunity to become a mid to late round draft pick. Because I literally used to tell scouts and agents when they was talking to me, recruiting me uh, earlier in the season, like, they're like, hey, man, so how you feel about this NFL process? I'm like, look, I already got to set in my head that I'm about to be a preferred free agent. And I right, still, right. even though all this success I had, I still got set like that, like, Man, at the end of the day, I'm not even about to get drafted. I'm about to be a preferred free agent and just try to do what I got to do to, uh, you know, make a team and just hopefully make a roster, make an impact. But, man, just to hear people saying, like, he can be drafted, like he's a 
a sleeper. It's like, man, are you kidding me? Like, I would have never thought that. You could have never told me this uh, four years ago, back when I first arrived to Northern Iowa. You could have never told me this. You could have never told me this could happen. So, man, I'm just extremely thankful because this is this is this whole week has just been a blessing. But I know it's not over. So, man, I just got to get back to work. Well, you definitely gained a lot of fans, man, and, and we're all pulling for you. And I want to wish you good luck to this entire process, and we're definitely going to see you out there on Sundays. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. All right. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Thank you, man. No problem. Thanks again to Darius. We're all really pulling for him. I hope he gets that combine invite. I hope he does well in the draft. And, hey, could even be a good fit for the 49ers. We see what Kyle Shanahan can do with those mid to late round receivers. So good luck to him. Yeah, I think I think one one thing that we should definitely notice when with any receiver coming into the draft and any receiver that the 49ers do draft is is the amount of touchdowns that these guys can can catch in the red zone and and Darius had 12 touchdowns this year. He played for you uh, was it you and I the, the Panthers from you and I. So yeah. I mean he played for a really small school and he got 12 touchdowns and over 900 yards receiving. I mean he averaged almost 14 and a half yards a catch. Like he put together a really good year at a school that's not really known by many people for, for anything. Uh, so I think that the 49ers will be well, well versed to, to look at some of these mid to late round finds and try to get something out of them. I think the, the misconception a lot of people have with the draft is that the guys picked at the top are going to be the guys that succeed. That's, that's not always the case. I think the teams that are the best can find value in the mid to late rounds. And, and that's exactly what the 49ers did last year with some of these guys like Adrian Colbert and Trent Taylor and George Kittle. Like these guys, these guys were not first or second round picks. They were the, the second half of the draft. So guys like Darius are incredibly valuable to a team like the 49ers and, and watching some of his highlights. And he dominated that East West shrine game. He dominated. It. And to those oh, of you who great. Yep. Yeah. To those of you who haven't seen it, I highly recommend that you look at his, his highlights of that game and, and this season. And this guy can play. He's not a huge guy. He's, he's six foot one and just barely over 200 pounds, but he's, he's got ball skills. He can catch the ball. He's a fluid route runner and he's a technician. That, and that's exactly what the 49ers need. Yeah. Long arms, a lot of burst. And he showed up on special teams too, which is going to be huge for him going into the NFL. And if you watch him return kicks in that game, yeah, he just, he stood out. He, he looked faster than everybody. And, and when you get a player in a game like that, who you notice, Listen, man, you know, the sky's the limit and, and the scouts took notice this week as well. And, and like I said in the interview, all of a sudden, all these teams are talking to him out of nowhere. So mm-hmm. things look good for him, man. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. He's, he's, he's a great kid and um, all, all the best to him for sure. So, all right, I want to get into this Patriots thing. And I tweeted out after the game and got some mixed, mixed reaction to it. But, you know, I said what the Patriots did is amazing, but it's just getting old to me. And it's just the same narrative year after year. And I don't see how that's really good for the NFL. And a lot of people agreed and, and some people didn't. And some people said, well, the Niners did it. And I was like, did they really? Was it, were they that, you know, and I went back and looked and here's how it went down. The Niners made 10 NFC championship games from 1981 through 1997. So they were 10 of 17, basically. The Patriots have made 12 AFC Championship games from 2001 to 2017. So they were 12 of 17. Now, the Patriots have made the last seven in a row. And the Niners actually made six out of seven from 88 through 94. But kind of my issue, and maybe my issue with the Patriots just kind of is, I feel like, yeah, they have this dynasty and you can't take anything away from them, but they're just kind of squeaking by. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. if you look at who the Niners played in that when they had that run of six out of seven, they were playing all-time teams 
in the NFC Championship game. They were playing those Dallas Cowboys teams. That's an all-time team. The Parcells-Belichick Giants, the Favre Packers, these are all-time teams. They had some blowouts in the Super Bowl tonight. I mean, they killed the number one defense in Denver in 1989. Uh, 1994 Super Bowl, Steve Young is throwing six touchdown passes, and they're blowing the doors off the Chargers. I mean, not that the Chargers were a great team, but... Um, and the Patriots are kind of squeaking by in Super Bowls, right? And if you look back at this Patriots run, are you going to say, are you going to look back 20 years from now and be like, oh, those Mike Tomlin Steelers? I mean, they're a good team, but do you look at them that way? Are, are, are you going to say that about any team that they played? Peyton Manning, I get. Okay, if you want to say the Peyton Manning teams that, that they beat, but the Colts were kind of one-dimensional then. And, and when they played Manning with the Broncos, they, they lost to them. So um, I don't know. You can't take anything away the Patriots are doing. I just think when you look at the dynasties with the Niners, I think the Niners had a tougher road. And the Niners played teams that you're going to look back at and say, wow, that was an all-time team. And I just don't know what competition. The, the AFC East has been garbage for 20 years. What's the best quarterback Brady's had to play in his division? Chad Pennington? So I don't know. Is that sour grapes, Zane? Am I being reasonable right now? Unreasonable right now? Well, given given your feelings about the Patriots overall, I mean, some might some might say you're you're biased a little bit, but the, the stats the stats do and, and and what the points that you make, I I totally agree with because it's it's also style points too. Like I, I get it, Tom Brady has been to to seven Super Bowls and this is eighth and. And he's got five rings. He's got more than anybody. And Bill Belichick has five rings. And and they've been to seven straight conference championship games. And I, I get all that. But they've never won by more than a field goal in the Super Bowl. Right. And every time they're squeaking by, every time. Look, a win is a win, whether you win by one point or 50 points. But you have to say, like, even that Chargers team, that 94 Chargers team, they were ranked in, in number five in offense and number nine on, in defense. So it's like they were a top ten team in, in in both. So it wasn't just some chump team that they that luckily somehow got there. Like they went into Pittsburgh and they beat Pittsburgh to get to the Super Bowl. So the, what the Forty ers did in the in the eighties and and nineties, like that. In, in my in my opinion, it was a different game back then. Mm-hmm. And the the you you could actually like hit a quarterback. Like some of the shots that Montana took in the eighties, like when he broke his back against it was at the eighty six season, I believe. I was only a, I was like a toddler, so I'm trying to re- recall my history here. But it, when he when he broke his back, like they thought that he would be done for like years, and he came back the next year and, and he played and and got him got him pretty far into the playoffs until he lost to the Giants, who were the eventual Super Bowl champions. So it, it's not just it's not just that you're winning Super Bowls. It's 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 like you said, it's who you beat. And that, that Denver team, like he's beaten Dan Marino, a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's beaten John Elway, a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's beaten Ken Anderson, who's a really, who's a damn good quarterback for the Bengals. And he's beaten them pretty soundly. The only time there was really any, any doubt was that the Super Bowl, the second Super Bowl against the Bengals in 88, where a Stanford Jennings kickoff return made it, made it a closer game than it should have been. The Niners played down to their opponent that day, but still Joe, Joe put together arguably the greatest drive in NFL history to go down and score and, and win that game. And not only that, leave only 30 seconds left on the clock so the other team couldn't do anything. So I think that, like, like look, Al, if, if Tom Brady loses this game against the Eagles, loses against Nick Foles, he's not in that conversation. He's in the conversation as greatest ever, but he's no longer undisputed greatest ever, in my opinion. Like, if you lose this game, and it, it's fair or not fair, if you lose this game against a team that you should absolutely thrash in the Super Bowl, then, then all bets are off. Then Joe Montana enters that conversation again as greatest of all time. 
And to me, Joe is the greatest of all time because look, the guy never even threw a pick in the Super Bowl, man. Like Steve Young, like no no 49ers quarterback threw an interception in the Super Bowl until Colin Kaepernick, which the 49ers lost anyways. So oh, it's it's how you it's who you beat and and we sound man, we sound like a couple of old we farts do. talking about we do. Like, we do. Like, yelling we at cloud. Right. Yeah. Like we're gonna we're gonna listen to this later. Be like, damn, what were we thinking? But oh, in I mean, my that- day, things were just better <laughs> back then. You know, yeah, it's just like the grumpy old man segment again. It is. But it is. I, I get it, man. And like, like you said, like Tom Brady caught his hand. Everybody's like, oh, he caught his hand. Montana broke his back. Dude yeah. broke his back and won two more Super Bowls. Pretty much a cut hand, Tommy. Yeah. Want to hear about it? <laughs> no, but you know what? If 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 you and you said it with Montana, like right now, it's hard to debate. Brady is the greatest of all time when you look at the resume okay when you look at the resume it's it's getting hard to debate that but if I had to pick a quarterback to win one game I'm still picking Montana and I think a lot of people feel that way so you could look at the resume and all this other stuff I'm picking Montana and you know what else I want to say too about Steve Young Steve Steve Young took a lot of crap he did if you remember in the in the early 90s he couldn't get over the hump he couldn't beat the Cowboys Mm -hmm. Steve Young had some of the best seasons that that we've ever seen um when you look at jimmy grapple this year he had 8.8 yards per attempt which is extremely high brady's never gone 8.8 he had 8.6 in one season and, and manning eclipsed peyton manning eclipsed 8.8 just once steve young averaged averaged 8.7 yards per attempt from 1991 through 1994 he was dominant yeah. Dominant. He doesn't get the credit. Deserves. Again, look at those teams that he lost to. Those Cowboys teams were amazing. They were an all-time team. Mm-hmm. You know, the Favre team. And yeah, you could say, well, you know, Young didn't go over that hump only the one time. But Young might have had the hardest path than out of any of those, these quarterbacks. He really may have. Um, and, and sometimes I, you know, when I was going back and looking through all this stuff, I'm like, wow. You know, I remember being kind of hard on Steve Young too at the time, and he really doesn't get enough credit because he had a really difficult path. So. I just want to throw that out there too, but yeah, Zane and I are just a couple of old, bitter old guys right now is what yeah. we sound like. So, but one, one thing you and I, we talked about last week too, and um, what we need to see, I think in 2018 is we need to start seeing the torch passed with some of these quarterbacks because Brady breeze, Roethlisberger rivers, Eli Manning, these guys are getting older now. Aaron Rodgers is still there and, you know, he's going to be around for, for another four or five years, probably. But we need to see Garoppolo. We need to see Watson. We need to see Wentz. We need to see Luck. The NFL needs these guys healthy, and they need to have them on the big stage in the playoffs. I guess you could put Russell Wilson in there, too. But when I'm talking about these other quarterbacks, I'm talking about a star, star quarterbacks. And I don't know, is Russell Wilson a star quarterback? He's kind of got like a creepy Tom Cruise vibe, doesn't he? A little bit, <laughs> you know? There he did. You, you, you put, see, this is a hot button topic with me. If you follow me on Twitter, you know this is this is Russell Wilson being elite or not elite is definitely a hot button topic with me. And and you you push that button now, and you're gonna let's, you're gonna have to hear it. you're gonna have to hit sit through me ranting about this now. So we're complaining this show. That's what we're doing. We're just, we're just complaining about everything. Complain about everything. Yeah. So Russell Wilson. Here's my stance on Russell Wilson. He is a very good quarterback, and in terms of athleticism. He has elite athleticism. He has elite escapability. He has elite elusiveness. And he is the most athletic quarterback in, in football right now. Now, when it comes to playing the quarterback position, it's more than just athleticism. It's reading a defense. It's throwing from the pocket. It's making more than one read. It is game management. It is all of those things. It is not just running around in circles and chucking the ball up for grabs and hoping your guy's going to get it. Right? That's, that's part of it, but that's not 
all it takes to being a quarterback. So in my opinion, Russell Wilson is not elite. He is, he's close, but he's not elite because when it, when it comes to all of those things, he is slightly just above average. Like he, they're going to find out this year. Like they've recently fired their offensive coordinator, Daryl, Daryl Bevel, who's the only offensive coordinator that Russell Wilson has known, by the way, this isn't a guy who's going through a coordinator a year. Like Mm -hmm. Alex Smith was and like Derek Carr of the Raiders now is this is a guy who's been had the the chance to be comfortable in a system for almost a decade. So they've tailored all of that to his, to, to mask his weaknesses. Like you'll see him rolling out. You'll see a lot of quick throws, a lot of one read throws from Russell Wilson. So I'm, I, I want to get more from him to call him elite. Like he's a great, he's a really great player. Like I, uh, the, any, the 49ers have, have been killed by Russell Wilson over the years, but I don't think he's elite because he doesn't, he, he doesn't do the things that an elite quarterback does. Like uh, this is, this is kind of petty, but whenever you ever seen an elite quarterback throw the game ending pick in a Super Bowl, you, I've never seen that. Like right. the elite quarterbacks don't make that mistake. So I, I don't want it one play to define a guy, but up until this point, that's to me, that's the play that defines him is that game ending Super Bowl in my mind, a game ending Super Bowl pick. So that and like the fact that he he doesn't really play well on the road in the playoffs. So and he's had this def- this elite defense backing him up this entire time. Like Al, after Richard Sherman went out, the the Seahawks won against Arizona to go go to six and three. After Richard Sherman went out, they went three and four down the stretch and missed the playoffs. Like right. an elite an elite quarterback doesn't doesn't let his team do that. And it's not like they had just a bunch of chumps that were playing, right? They still had Earl Thomas. They still had KJ Wright, uh, KJ Wright, and and uh, Bobby Wagner playing. They still had Michael Bennett. So it's not like they they had like a bunch of backups that were that were playing. It was still a lot of the guys from their base defense and and their offense. They had Jimmy Graham on offense. They still had Doug Baldwin. So he was not able to get them to the playoffs. And to me, elite quarterbacks, they're able to do that. Like they're able to to will their team to the playoffs. So now I think the true test will be now. Like Cam Chancellor might be retiring, Cliff Averill might be retiring. You have Richard Sherman, who may be a cap casualty. Michael Bennett may be a cap casualty. You've got basically like a like a a rebuild on the run for them. And he's got a whole new coaching staff outside of Pete Carroll that he has to get used to in a new scheme. So now is kind of going to be the test to see like how how well can he flourish. He's also getting older too. He's he's turning thirty this year. So can you do it at at all levels, uh, at all times. Like Steve Young never really had a down year. No, neither did I. And a lot of people like to compare Russell Wilson to Steve Young because they're running quarterbacks. But you just put the stats out earlier. Like he's, he averaged over eight and a half yards per attempt for four straight years. So until Russell Wilson does something like that or wins an MVP or is a Super Bowl MVP or has some sort of career-defining moment where he carries his team and wills his team to the next level for a full season, I can't count him as a lead. Yeah, Steve Young is, I mean, Wilson's nowhere near the pocket passer that Steve Young was either. And I think with Wilson, Wilson's a pro bowl quarterback. He's, he's a very good player, but I, I don't put him at, at that elite level um, by any stretch of the imagination. You know, Rodgers, Brady, Breeze, Roethlisberger, those guys to me are, are, are super elite. Yeah, throw um, Philip throw Philip Rivers in there too. I mean, he hasn't won a Super Bowl, but that, that guy he has nothing around him ever, and he that's yeah. Antonio Gates. Yeah, I probably put Rivers in the next tier. Um, you know, Rivers Wilson in that next tier. Matt Ryan. Uh, yeah, I guess you got to throw Matt Ryan in there. I'm sure I'm forgetting people. You know, I never thought Eli. Other Eli was clutch in those Super Bowl runs. In terms of year in and year out. 
you know, he's, I, I, I don't know that I would put him with those guys. Um, yeah. I, you know, he's right there, but you know, to me, it's Rogers, Brady, Breeze, Ben are, are the four elite surefire hall of famer guys right now. And in mm-hmm. look, they're all nearing the end of their career. So, so you need those next stars to come up again. And that's where I, I think the names for me, it's Garoppolo, it's Watson, it's Wentz and it's, it's Andrew Luck if he's healthy. So for me, that's where it is. And, and listen again with Brady, Brady is great. He is a great football player. What he does is amazing. And, you know, it looked like that the Jags had that game won yesterday and, and Brady just brings him back and he seems to always do it. So I, I don't want to take anything away from him. Um, the guy is 41 years old almost. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, yeah, on, like that's, that, that, that's a big deal. He's almost 41 years old. Yeah. He's going for a sixth Super Bowl. That's crazy. And I think to the cloud that's going to hang over that team to me are, are the cheating allegations with them and, and how far do they push the envelope? You know, there's just, there's just a lot there that doesn't sit well, you know, and, and it, it does seem like, and I guess maybe when teams win, it just seems this way, but they always get the calls, you know, something always happens, you know, to kind of go their way. And it's for somebody with Patriots fatigue, like me, it's, it's frustrating, but you know, you don't want to take away because it is what they've done in this run is, is unbelievable. And, and, you know, they can put their dynasty up against anybody in sports right now. I don't like it, but you know, that that's kind of the way that it is. So I, I just think they've been very fortunate in this run. So yeah, I guess I'll leave it at a, that. It's but. a, it's a beatable Patriots team this time around though. I think that I feel like they're always beatable Patriots. Teams. <laughs> they always yeah. win. Yeah, and they get bailed out by like a kicker or something like that. Yeah. Like, uh, like, but yeah, I think that they're, they're, you know, their defense isn't as good this year and they're kind of leaky and you can beat them with the run game. But I, the, the Tom Brady factor just trumps all. Like, I can't believe he's doing what he's doing at, at his age. Like, it's, it's unheard of. So maybe, maybe it's that TB12 cult slash performance center that he has that, that's helping him, right? Yeah, it's avocado ice cream. Yeah, <laughs> avocado everything, <laughs> whatever he eats. Yeah, he's a little, he's a little strange too. To Tom, to Tom Brady. Yeah, but it's there. So. It's there for for Jimmy for the taking, man. I mean, I think that the the next generation quarterbacks, you can throw Jared Goff in there too if he, if he puts together more than one one good season. But it's there for for the taking for him. And the difference between Jimmy Garoppolo and all of these other people, like you'll hear a lot in the off season about, like, oh well. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have to do it for more than more than five or seven games. And he's going to have to do it for 16 games in the playoffs in harsh conditions. He beat, he took that same Jaguars team that Tom Brady struggled to beat this past weekend. And he put 37 offensive points on them. And I was there at that mm-hmm. game and he was shredding them. Like the, the score is not indicative of how well he played. Like it was, it was unbelievable. The 49ers looked like the playoff team that was going to win their division. And the Jaguars looked at the team that was six and ten. Like he he did that yeah. to them. And at that time they were the number one defense. And because of that game, they became the number two defense because they allowed so many points. But I, it's like if you look at if you look at him, I can't emphasize this enough. If you look at him, look at his footwork, look at the way he releases the ball, look at his vision, look at him stand in the pocket and how he reads the defense. The, all of those things, how many quarterbacks in the league do you see that can that can do it at the level that he does it? And he's he's only scratched the surface. If you look at any other quarterback in the league who is not part of the holy the holy of quarterbacks, you look at any of those guys. They Jimmy Garoppolo, like he just looks the part. It's it's uncanny. So I think that he he is going to be the, the next great quarterback, and I think that he is going to take the next step. Now it's up to the 49ers to surround him with 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 better pieces and give him some protection up front. And speaking of protection, Al, mm-hmm. you hear that Joe Staley made made the Pro Bowl. He actually is in as an alternate. Yeah, I, I did see that. 
see that. It's his sixth time in his career. Yeah, I think he made it from 2011 through 15, and, and then this year. And he had a great year. He yeah. really did have a great year. You could tell he was rejuvenated, and and good for him, man, because he's he's a pillar for this organization. He really is. Mm. Yeah, and he's he's going to have his uh, name up on that ten year wall and everything. And when they drafted him, he was like a converted tight end at, out of a small school in Michigan. And people are like, "Ah, oh, what's this guy going to do?" And and he, man, like I never thought that Joe Staley would would be as good as he is. Like he's a stalwart, and he and he wants to end his career with the Forty ers which is which is great too. Yeah, I think he's got some years left. I really do. I think he's 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 got two or three good years left in him. Um, you know, which is huge. So if they want to draft his replacement kind of soon and, and move that player inside, you know, until, until Staley's gone and they want to move the player back outside, I, you know, I could see that, but I definitely think he's, he's, he's got a couple years left there. Um, you know, we'll see what they do with Brown on the other side if they want to extend him or what happens. But yeah, he's been great pick. Um, it was him and Patrick Willis in the same round, wasn't it? It was. Wasn't it the same draft? Yep. Yeah, that's an amazing draft. I mean, to get those two guys, mm-hmm. you know, borderline. I think Willis should get his number retired, and I think Willis is a Hall of Famer. And I guess you can make an argument for Joe Staley for those things. You know, he's certainly a, a Pro Bowl level player and in a great Forty Nine er. So, what well, an amazing first round! Yeah, yeah, that was that was a uh, Scott McLuhan. That was one of his uh, one of his greatest hits right there. And uh, like, it just comes down to drafting well. Like the teams that are the best, like the, the, people wonder why the Patriots are always on top. It's because they, they find guys that fit their scheme. They're not the fastest or biggest. Yeah, like yeah. Their, their wide receivers are Danny Amendola and Chris Hogan. And in the end of, the end of that game, Danny Amendola was just running wild on the best, on supposedly the best defense in the league and the best, the number one ranked pass defense in the league. So it, it's just things like that, that, that set them apart. And it's little things like that, that, that give them the edge out. Like we, we wonder how they're able to squeak by it's, it's because they do the little things like drafting well or finding guys that fit the scheme. Like or or letting go of guys that don't buy in. Like they let go of Chandler Jones a couple of years ago, who's their best pass rusher. And I was like, "What are you doing?" But it turns out he couldn't follow team rules. Like he was always he was always late to meetings mm-hmm. and stuff. Like what happened with Ruben Foster? If he was like I hate to say it, if he was on the the Patriots, he would either a be benched or b be traded or released. Like Bill Belichick doesn't stand for crap. Yeah. It also helps with some of the moves that Belichick makes that he always has Brady to bail him out too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you got that when you got that guy behind center, it, it kind of makes life easier. But you know, this could be the end of the dynasty for them. We'll see. And you talk about Garoppolo, and the NFL needs Jimmy Garoppolo to be great. They yeah. really do. The NFL is better when the 49ers are good. The NFL is better when the Bears are good. Mm-hmm. You know, some fans may hate to hear it, but the NFL is better when the Raiders are good. You know, when when the Giants are good, when these type of teams are good and in front and center. You know, the NFL is kind of Camelot franchises or whatever. It's it's a better league. It's a more interesting league, and they need the Niners to get back on top. And and it looks it looks like Jimmy G is going to be that guy. And um, we did want to bring up here too. You know, obviously we talked to Dries Fountain today, and and we like him as a receiver. And Zane, what about the receivers? Do you think that they need more help or can they get by here with a note with, with what they have. The emergence of Trent Taylor was a huge, huge thing for them because I think that they solidified that slot receiver position. I think that he's going to be the slot guy going forward. And that of, of Marquise Goodwin as well was Marquise Goodwin was amazing this year. I did not expect uh, that totally, totally blindsided me how well he played and the force that he became on offense. He, and he was a force. He was running the entire route tree. I've said this many times before. He's running the entire route tree. And obviously, Pierre Garçon is a consummate pro. Like He's your possession guy. But they still need a red zone threat. They need a big receiver that they can go to that just throw a jump ball in the red zone to, to basically go up and get it. Pierre Garçon is turning 32. He 
we don't know how many years he has left. He looks like he'll be fine, but we we honestly don't know. When when receivers get up over 30 years old, they lose a step, and, and you really don't know. So drafting a guy that could potentially be a replacement when you're in the in the top 15 or top 10 in the draft, it's it's of utmost importance. And you got look at guys like Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry is going to be a free agent, with, and he's kind of having trouble negotiating his contract with the Dolphins. A guy like that, that that's a like a jump ball type of guy that can go up and get it, that has ball skills. Somebody like that, or a guy, you know, like even even like Alan Ruff, a major injury with the ACL. But I think that that he'll a come on the cheap because of that, and b he'll fit well in the system. So it's definitely a priority. I don't think it's as big of a priority as as like say edge rusher or offensive line or cornerback. But I think that if they can get an elite receiver into this offense, get their version of Julio Jones like he had in Atlanta, it's only going to make Jimmy Garoppolo better. Like we don't, we, we forget that Jimmy Garoppolo did what he did, throwing to a bunch of guys that were backups last year. Like if if the 49ers sign or draft a receiver that's going to start, Marquise Goodwin becomes the number three receiver. He's no longer technically no longer starting, right? Like mm-hmm. so, Jimmy Garoppolo did this with a bunch of backups, which is which is unbelievable. And priority number two behind signing Jimmy Garoppolo should be to get him some protection and weapons this offseason. Yeah, and wide receiver, I think they're fine for 2018, but then there's a huge drop off. 2019, you got an issue because Garcon's getting older, and um, Marquis Goodwin is only signed for one more year. You know, if they don't extend him this year, and Taylor again, he looks like a nice piece, but he's not somebody you build your offense around. So I'm interested to see what their thought process is on it. If they address it now because they do need a long term solution, or if they're like, you know, we're kind of okay this year. And we'll wait until next year to get to get a couple long term pieces because Kyle can you know scheme around players that he has as long as players fit his system. And you know you see with the Patriots, like you said, you know you get guys like Danny Amendola. As long as you get these system guys, maybe that's kind of where the Niners are. If they can get people that Shanahan likes, you know he likes the small, fast receivers, and you got a quarterback who can get him the ball. Maybe that's all they need. But to me, that's that's one of the things that I, I just I can't wait to see how it plays out this year. They have to. They have to, in my opinion, this year because you've got the cap room this year. Front load the contract so that they get the majority of their money up front. And when the cap gets tighter and they have, they'll have some of these contracts are coming up in later years, the cap hit isn't as much to release this, these receivers if they need to release them. I think that the, the window for the championship to contend for a championship is open now. Like Jimmy Garoppolo threw basically threw gasoline on the rebuild fire and accelerated it. So they, they have, and I think the 49ers know that. I think they know that their window is now open to contend for the division, especially with Seattle on the decline, Arizona rebuilding and the Rams kind of like they're, they're largely unproven. They, they had a great year this year, but beyond that, like they lost a playoff game Mm -hmm. at home, right. To, to a team that was inferior. So beyond that, we don't really know what the Rams have. So the 49ers are, are in prime position. They've got a last place schedule this, this coming upcoming year. They've, they're in position to make some noise, Al. I think that now is the time. Like they have to realize that if they're gonna if they're gonna go for it, the window's only gonna be open for four or five years until until they have to bust it up and do it all over again. So I think that they're gonna they're gonna pre- be pretty aggressive in the draft and and free agency this year. See, that's where I, I might disagree with you though, because if 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 Jimmy Garoppolo is what we think he is, and he's the type of quarterback that he looked like, he's twenty six, right? So yeah. if, if he's that guy, then your window's open for 10 years. If you have that guy, if you have an Aaron Rodgers, if you have a Jabez, if you have a Tom Brady, if you have Ben Roethlisberger, your window is open for as long as you have that guy. So it's like 
you just keep building around that guy. So they can look at things as, as sort of a, a long, you know, a slow burn or a long, a long-term build because you have Garoppolo or you could look at things where, okay, let's add this vet here and this vet here and let's go for it now because you have Garoppolo. You could do a little bit of both. So like having this quarterback allows them to go all these different ways because if you have that elite quarterback that we think he is, you're going to win. You know, it's, it's, it's a great spot to be in. So <laughs> let's just get that contract signed, man. Yeah, get that contract signed, get him some protection, keep him healthy, and then and and we'll be good. Now, Al, I, I wanted to talk about well, first of all, I think we should give out game balls for the conference championship okay. games. I think that it's it'd be kind of cool to to talk about other teams a little bit. I, I think it's important as as uh 49er fans to stay informed of the rest of the league. Otherwise, you become Seahawks fans and you only care about your own <laughs> team and you don't know anything about anything else. So and we don't want that. We want we want the 49er faithful to be informed about what's going on elsewhere in the NFL. To a certain extent, obviously, we're a 49ers site and show, and we focus on that, but we want we want to give a full taste of what's, what's going on. So with that being said, game balls. For the early game, the Patriots and Jaguars, my game ball, it's got it, obviously, it's Tom Brady. Tom Brady proved again why he's arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. Like The, the way he came back and won that game, being 10 points down, he was aggressive with it, and he, and he won the game. So Tom Brady gets my early game game ball, and my late game game ball goes to Nick Foles. Like It's, it's impossible to ignore the quarterbacks. He, he had a really good game. And Nick Foles, he's not a bad quarterback. But he's not an elite quarterback. He's kind of like he's kind of like one of those guys that obviously when Carson Wentz comes back, he'll go back to the bench. He's not good enough to to win that job. But he did he did really well. He he played a good game, played a clean game, uh, didn't turn it over, and he led his team to a blowout victory to go to the Super Bowl for the for the the his first time and the third time as a franchise for the Eagles. So Tom Brady, Nick Foles, get my game balls. Yeah, it's cliche to go with quarterbacks, but I'm going to do the same thing because for Brady, he <laughs> is, you know, but what else? I feel like that was the story of these games, you know, like Brady, yep. he is the best, you know, and he's the best right now. And, and he proved it by leading his team back without his, you know, Gronk was out. So he's not throwing to his, his best weapon there and he just makes it work with whoever he has. It's amazing. And I'll give it to Foles because, you know, Foles was looked at as, okay, this guy's the weak link, you know, Wentz is hurt. The Eagles can't do this because of Nick Foles and Foles absolutely balled out in that game. I mean, he was terrific. Mm-hmm. He was getting the ball downfield. He did everything you could ask of him. And if if that quarterback shows up in the Super Bowl, the Eagles have a real chance because their defense is good, really good. So we'll have to see if he can do it. And and props to their coach Doug Peterson too. Um, you know, it wasn't a thing where it was all Carson Wentz. He he gets his backup quarterback in here and they're still winning games. You know, it hasn't always been pretty. It certainly was in the championship game, but they're getting it done still. And, and props to that coaching staff are doing a great job. They are. And I think that if, if Nick Foles can play a clean game and if their defense, their defense is top five. So it's not, it's not a bad defense. People kind of have overlooked their defense. They had a pick six last game too. So if he can, if he can play mistake free football and if their defense can keep it close, they'll have a chance, but if this thing gets away from them and Tom Brady's just throwing the ball around the yard, it it's going to be, it's going to be game over. Like, let's be honest, this game, this game is dependent pretty much on how Tom Brady plays. If Tom Brady plays well, the Patriots win. If he doesn't play well, they'll either lose or it'll be a close game. 
it's not dependent on anything else. Like he's basically, it's like Murph said last week when he was on our show, Brian Murphy, he said, it's, it's Tom Brady's world. We're all just living in it. Right. So he is, Unfortunately. The, the X factor. <laughs> he is, he is the X factor in all this. Now, Al, before we, before we go, I, there's one more thing that I wanted to touch on. And every year we hear about this and every year there's a call that happens in a, a pivotal moment in the playoffs that we question. And this time it was Deion Lewis and the Patriots completed a pass down the field on a trick play. And Deion Lewis looks like it looked like miles Jack forced a fumble and was going to take it back for the touchdown. Patriots were down by, I believe three points at that time, weren't they? And miles Jack was going to take it back for, for a touchdown. And the referees inexplicably blew the whistle early before the play, pretty much before Deion Lewis was even on the ground. And they called the play dead, even though it was a clean strip and, and recovery. And on top of that, the Patriots only had one penalty called on them the entire game, which is, which is kind of odd for a playoff game because you see, usually see guys playing more tight and all that stuff. So I want to get your thoughts on that, Al. Like, I mean, like, is, is this, like, when is this going to be fixed? When is the league actually going to address their problems with officiating and stop, stop ignoring the elephant in the room and blaming other things like anthem protest and, and other teams having dynasties and players holding out for contracts and all this other stuff? When are they going to stop blaming all that other stuff for the decline in popularity and look at the real problem, that's, which is officiating and the rules of the game, which, are, which neither of are consistent? Yeah, it just come, it seems to come up week after week. Week after week, there's something that you can point to where you're like, wow, the officials blew that or, or this rule doesn't make any sense. And it's something the competition, competition committee really needs to sit down and figure out what they need to do with this offseason. They absolutely need to fix this issue. And, you know, again, me being, you know, the Patriots hater that I am, I'm, you know, always looking for, for things to get on them about, especially when it comes to the officials. But I didn't think the play with, with the fumble with Deion Lewis and Miles Jack, that, that was bad. And you got to get that right. Mm -hmm. You do. Yeah. There was a pass interference play, and obviously the hit on Gronk you, uh, at the end of the half, you got to call that because it was helmet to helmet. But the pass interference, I think it was on AJ Boye, I think, mm -hmm. um, was a little iffy, but I can see why they called it because he didn't turn his head. I didn't think the ball was catchable. Um, I didn't like the call. I wouldn't have called it. I don't think you call that in a, in a, in a playoff game of that magnitude. I guess I can see why they called it because he didn't turn his head so you could say, okay, you know, things are moving fast. But again, at the end of the day, it's like you point to these, to these decisions that the officials make and it, it costs teams games and it, it hurts the league. It hurts the pace of play. You know, we've said this a million times and they do, they absolutely have to fix it and they have to fix it now. Yeah. And the reason why you're going to, you're going to laugh at this, but the reason why the Patriots got home field advantage, do you remember why? It's because Jesse uh, James off the top of my head. Jesse James, oh, right. yeah, yeah. The, the goal line play where he caught it and the ball was moving and it was supposed to be a game-winning touchdown, but then uh, the, the official said that he didn't catch it. And that's basically how they got home for the advantage. It's they they always get breaks like that. It drives me crazy. It drives me so, crazy. Hey, man, I mean, good teams get, get breaks, right? That's kind, of, that's kind of the way it goes. But, you know, at the uh, end of the day, I, I think that this points to a larger problem. Like, this, th like that play in the regular season affected the playoffs and the right. seeding in the playoffs. If Pittsburgh has home field advantage, we don't know what happens, right? I mean, we can right. play what if till the, the what if game till the cows come home. But I mean, the, the point of, of this whole conversation is the fact that there is a problem with officiating in the NFL, and they keep ignoring it. Like the the rules, unless unless they let coaches start challenging penalties, they're not going to get this fixed because they're not interested in getting this fixed. They're not interested in in having full time officials. They don't care about that. 
The NFL is minting money right now. They don't care about officiating. The officiating is the last thing they care about. They care about their image more than anything. So they're, they're picking at low-hanging fruit, and, and, and they don't want to hold their officials accountable. But Al, like, it's, just, it's just really, really frustrating. And, and I'll stop ranting now because I'm sure people have heard enough about uh, ranting about <laughs> the officials. But I just, I just really hope they get it fixed. That's all. Yeah, I agree. And this season, this season was a rough season in a lot of ways with injuries, with bad play, with officiating. And I really hope 2018 is a bounce back season for the NFL. I hope some of the, like I keep saying, talking about these new stars. I hope they come up and I hope the officiating, officiating can get fixed and, and just the NFL has a rebound season because while the NFL is still very popular and people love to watch it, I certainly still do. Um, you know, we have a show about it for God's sakes, you know, we, yeah. we, we enjoy football yeah. so much, you know, but, um, the game has issues right now and it really needs a bounce back year as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, we'll see where it goes. Yeah. And I think before, before we go, I think Al, we should definitely make our way too early Super Bowl picks. Cause we don't even know who's playing in the game. Gronk may, may or may not play, but just in case sometimes like we, you know, we'll, we'll get deep down a rabbit hole and, and we'll forget. So, you know what, why don't we just make them now? We'll give the people what they want. All we'll right. You want to go first? <laughs> I, I know I know who you're going to pick, so just by the tone by the tone of your voice, Al, I know you're going to pick. And I'm going to go the same way. I'm going to pick the Patriots because Nick Foles is not beating Tom Brady in what could possibly be Tom Brady's last game. Like I could see him maybe retiring after this year. He's losing both uh, Matt uh, Matt Patricia, defensive coordinator, and Josh McDaniels, offensive coordinator, and Bill Belichick is obviously has nothing to prove either. I can see them both retiring after the season on top. So that being said. I think that the Patriots will win this one. I think it'll be close for most of the game, but I think they'll pull away in the end. So I think they'll they'll win it thirty-one to twenty. What about you? Yeah, that's probably fair. I I mean, I want to pick the Eagles because I really like their front four and I like the weapons they have on offense. But I, I mean, it just seems like the Patriots always find a way. Something's going to happen, you know. Bill Belichick's deal with Satan is it hasn't run out yet. So <laughs> with a however long contract he signed with with Satan hasn't run out yet. So. It's clearly still happening, so you got to think that they they win. And I I do think this is the end of the dynasty with the coordinators leaving. Um, Josh McDaniels is going to the Colts. Uh, Patricia is going to the Lions. Um, I I do think this is sort of the end of it. Who knows? They'll probably prove me wrong next year, but um, I, I think this is sort of <clears throat> the last hurrah for them. But we'll see. But I'm going to be rooting for the Eagles with all my heart. So, and you know that they basically the, the devil needed some of Tom Brady's blood, right? That's why he cut his hand. It's not because he hit on somebody's helmet. The, the devil's like, I need some of Tom Brady's blood to complete this potion. And Tom Brady's like, all right, cool. Here, have a few drops. And he yeah, put he 12. Cut it out an avocado. Whatever <laughs> yeah, he eats. Doesn't he, what he, he eats like twigs and avocados, right? Yeah, he probably pretty, pretty much, yeah. Out his hand. I, I think so, yeah. And, and he got 12 stitches. He's like, I need, he, he, you know what happened is the doctor probably gave him 10 stitches. He's like, no, I need 12. I need one for each number on my jersey. <laughs> Joke. He had a little cut on his hand. I mean, whatever. Everybody's like, oh, God. How's he gonna throw? Uh, no, serious. No, it was, it was it was it was impressive though what he did. It was impressive. But yeah, I guess we're gonna stop rambling, nope. Al. Um, yeah. So just wanna just wanna thank all the Niner faithful for listening. Want to thank Darius Fountain for Al Sacco. This is Zane Acky. This has been another episode of the Forty Hours Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. See ya. Yep.